um, I've got a question uh, for you. What do the following things or uh, stories have in common? Sister Act 2, How to Train Your Dragon 2, Captain America, Winter Soldier, for all those Marvel fans out there, and Lord of the Rings. And uh, we'll think about the book rather than the film there. What do they have in common? Well, the fact is they are all sequels, aren't they? And they are all sequels that are arguably at least as good as the film that came before. Many of the films we see, the first film's great, and they add some sequels in, and they're kind of okay and perhaps a, dis- a bit disappointing. But each of these, it's arguably as good, if not in K places, slightly better than the one before. Now, we are this morning going to start a series on the book of Acts, which is, in fact, a sequel. It is a sequel to the Gospel of Luke. It is written by the same author. It is written um, by Luke, who was a, a Gentile. He wasn't a Jew. He was a medical doctor, a very learned man. He wrote the Gospel of Luke, where he got the eyewitness stories and accounts of Jesus and put them down. And now he then subsequently wrote the book of Acts as a follow-on. Now Luke was known in his writing for having a real literary talent. There's a high literary quality to all his work, a high level of historicity, and and actually a lot of archaeological evidence having looked back has verified how uh, historically accurate uh, Luke is in his tale as he tells it. But also he is known for his honesty. He tells the story of the disciples and the followers of Jesus both when with Jesus and after Jesus had ascended with great honesty. It's warts and all. He shares the bad stuff, the bad decisions they made, as well as the good ones. So he is held up as a great historian and a great writer. And he said in in Luke's Gospel, actually at the start of Acts, we hear this, I'm going to read it in a moment, but actually Luke talks, looking back at Luke's Gospel, and says that was what Jesus began to do and teach. And by implication, therefore, the book of Acts tells the story of what Jesus continued to do and teach through his church. It tells the thrilling story of the first 30 years of the church from about AD 30 to about AD 60. And we're going to dive straight in Acts chapter 1 from verses 1 to 14. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles, he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? 
This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. So in verse 8 there, we hear this commissioning of the disciples. They've spent the last few years with Jesus. They've been through the devastation of his death. They've seen the miraculous and wonderful moment of his resurrection and they've spent 40 days with him where he has explained the scriptures and they've come to understand what the scriptures meant concerning Jesus and what it's all about. And he then tells them that when the Holy Spirit comes upon them that they will be sent into all the world as his witnesses. Witnesses to his goodness, to his power, to his mercy, to his grace. And uh, we read that here and it's easy to believe that was just for them in their day. But as followers of Jesus, we have to recognize that that great commission, and we read it in Matthew 28 uh, in, in in its beautiful form, where we are told to go into all nations making disciples baptizing them and teaching them to follow all of Jesus' commands. That is the commission that every single one of us who has been called as a follower of Jesus, who has chosen to give their lives to him, that is our commission. That we would be witnesses in Southampton and Hampshire and the Isle of Wight and the rest of the world. Wherever we find ourselves, we are called to witness to the goodness and the grace and the mercy and the transforming power of Jesus, without exception. We have no excuses. Nothing counts us out of that commission to be his witnesses. But fascinatingly, despite the fact that Jesus has commissioned disciples and given them their mission, actually, he says, but wait. He tells them in verse six, to wait in Jerusalem for a short while until he sends the Holy Spirit to fill them. Now, these are men who have spent several years with Jesus. They've gained an understanding of what's going on. They understand the scriptures. And yet Jesus is saying to them, you are not ready until you've been filled with the Holy Spirit. Wait. Because actually... Until they were filled with the Holy Spirit, just as Jesus was filled at his baptism, they did not have that deep power encounter and that releasing of authority that only comes when the Holy Spirit fills us. Actually, what do we have to offer if we do not have the Holy Spirit within us and leading us and sending us out? Actually, what kind of witness can we be Actually, when we understand the scriptures or we've read the scriptures, but we don't have the Holy Spirit, actually, we can share some ideas. We can share some thoughts and theories. We can share some concepts about religion. But it is the Holy Spirit that leads us into the truth and power of an experience of Jesus. And it is that power with which we are called to be witnesses to the world around us. 
wherever we find ourselves. Now, many of you know that I work at times uh, on my day off as a flying instructor. I love flying. And as someone who loves flying, there's something about the experience of flying that I absolutely love to share with people, especially when I take someone on a trial lesson or first ever flight. I experience in that moment often the same joy that I first experienced when I first flew when I was eight. Now, I could know all the theory about flying. I could understand the aerodynamics of lift, how an aeroplane flies, how it works, how all the instruments work. And I could tell someone else how good flying is. But having, if I had never been in an aeroplane myself, if I had never experienced it, if I had never learned to do it myself, actually, I would just be sharing theory. Actually, we are called not just to share here theory, but to share the experience and deep encounter that we have known of God. So as a pilot myself, I am now able to not just share an idea about flying, a theory on the ground, but actually to take someone straight into that environment and take them into the air and share that with them too. The theory is really important. It's important that for my students, I know how an aeroplane flies and I can explain it. But it's actually the experience and the encounter of flying that actually is so important in that role. The disciples had experienced Jesus. They'd understood the scriptures. But they needed filling with the Holy Spirit before they could become a credible and powerful witness to him. That's why Jesus told them to wait. They needed his power, not their own strength. In their own strength, they would have been ineffective. Now, many of you may enjoy the Narnia stories, and Prince Caspian um, is the book that comes immediately after The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe in the Chronicles of Narnia. If you've read the story, you know it's the story of the Pevensey children stepping back into Narnia about a thousand years or so after they've last been there. And uh, there is a, uh, a despotic ruler in the kingdom. And they are there having been kings and queens in that kingdom before, and they recognize that it's their mission to help free the people. And they're hoping that Aslan will be there, but he's nowhere to be seen. And so they decide on their journey to actually take things into their own hands. They are going to journey, they are going to fight, they're going to build an army, and they're going to fight this evil king, all except for Lucy, who glimpses Aslan and wants to follow him but none else, the others, believe him. And as you can imagine, as they take things into their own strength, as they're battling the enemy forces, it's not going well. They're being defeated, they're being pushed back, and all feels as though it's lost. And yet Lucy knows that actually they need Aslan. And so she disappears off. If you watch the film version, it's a bit different to the book. She disappears off in search of Aslan. There's that moment at the end where Aslan comes and Aslan roars and Aslan releases his power and he turns the tide of the battle and he wins the victory. It's so easy for us sometimes, isn't it, to try and lead and do things in our own strength when actually what we need is God's strength and God's timing. Psalm 127 says this, Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. So my question to you this morning is, what are you doing in your own strength and your own timing that actually you need to stop and you need to wait and you need to seek God's leading and God's power? Now, notice, when the disciples actually stop 
to wait. They were obedient. The disciples had so often been so impetuous and found it so hard to really understand what Jesus was saying. And yet here, they stop, they wait, and they obey. But they don't just sit around idly, um, not doing much, kicking back, maybe doing a bit of fishing, or as you do in these days, scrolling through Facebook and playing some computer games. No, actually, the disciples waited actively. It tells us in verse 14, it said, They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. They spent time in constant prayer, in those ten days between the ascension and the pouring out of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost. We're going to hear a bit about that moment uh, next week. Why? Because actually, in that place where we are seeking God and spending time in his presence, actually prayer changes us. It connects us to the very heartbeat of God if we will submit ourselves to him and allow ourselves to hear his voice in that place. And by praying, we realize our dependence on him. And we realize and start to understand the limit of our own abilities, which makes us available to him. And it was these disciples from being in constant prayer, having recognized their availability and their need of Jesus, it was these available disciples to whom the Holy Spirit came. But notice that as they waited in this active way, seeking God, actually the disciples waited together. They weren't scattered. They weren't just off in their own houses and their air rooms. They were in constant prayer together. They were together when the Holy Spirit came. Because we are created to share our faith and walk out our journey of faith with one another. Yes, we need to spend time with Christ alone. But actually we are not called to be these islands, these separate people just walking a tiny personal faith. We are called who is finding church difficult and who doesn't find church difficult on days. And he went to speak to a wise old professor, um, just like C.S. Lewis himself. And um, as they were sitting in front of the open grate of a fire, it was a cold winter's day. There was coal burning in the fire. The professor just came as they talked and he took one coal, glowing hot coal out of the fire and he put it on the hearth. And as they talked, they continued to chat. The fire continued to blaze, but this one coal, separate and out of the fire, started to go cold. It went from red to black. And uh, as they talked, the young man began to understand that actually as Christians, when we are together, when we come together and support and encourage one another and seek God's face together, There is a power of God at work in us that sets us alight and keeps us burning bright. But when we are taken out and we stand on our own, it is so easy for us to gradually go cold. And uh, I was chatting chatting to Jimmy, who we saw earlier, who is currently running the marathon. I don't know where he is, but uh, he's somewhere on the streets of Southampton. I was talking to him a few weeks ago about his training regime. Now, my understanding of running is uh, not so good. I run uh, semi-regularly, but I don't do it with any great uh, uh, science behind it. I just get out, put my shoes on, and go for a run. 
I put my uh, other clothes on as well, shorts and t-shirt, you'll be pleased to know, not just my shoes, but uh, off I go running around Southampton. But I th would have thought that actually if you want to run a marathon, the best thing to do would be to be able to run a marathon regularly. So get to the point where I've perhaps run more than a marathon, you know, perhaps over a few weeks, each week run a marathon or two, something like that, um, and done a really fast time. So that when I come to the actual race, I'm really conditioned, I've run well, I know how to run a marathon, I know I can run further, and then it's a bit of a breeze in the park and I can get a great time. As it turns out, I know absolutely nothing about running and training. Because what Jimmy told me is actually, firstly, you never train, or very rarely would you ever do the full distance in your training. You might get up to about 18 miles in your training runs, but you'd never do the full 26, I think it's 26. And also, in terms of time, I assume that you would want to run um, when you're training very, very fast, so that you're ready for the marathon to run fast. But what Jimmy said is actually no, you run a slower time than your marathon run, and this is the reason why? Because on race day, with the crowds around you cheering you on, with the other runners alongside, you will run a faster time than when you're running in training on your own. And so if you have a time that you are aiming for, you actually run it slower in training than the time that you're hoping to actually achieve on the run. Because when we come together, there is something that happens that spurs us on leads us faster and leads us further. We need the scriptures. We need to understand who God is and what he has to say about us and about this world around us. We need the Holy Spirit to come and fill us and to go on filling us, that we would have his power at work within us, that we will be connected to the Father in that deep way that is only possible when the Holy Spirit is dwelling within us. And we need each other. Um, now, the other thing that's really interesting to notice in this passage is what happens when the disciples and the followers of Jesus are filled by the Holy Spirit in the upper room. This moment when these tongues of fire descend on them and they all find themselves praising God in different languages. They don't just stay in the upper room enjoying an intimate experience with Jesus, but they are immediately released into action. They don't just stay and enjoy a great meeting, but straight away they find themselves out on the streets sharing the joy and the delight and the power of God with those around them. We find Peter, and we'll hear about this in the next couple of weeks, Peter standing on the streets explaining to the people around him, the Jews of Jerusalem at the festival of Pentecost, uh, explaining the scriptures but this just isn't just from his knowledge of spending time with Jesus. This is in the power of the Holy Spirit. And the results are remarkable. Thousands that day turn to Jesus. And another question I have for you. Have you been filled and have you been sent? Have you known God's leading? Do you know that God is calling you into something to take a step of faith to step out? And yet you have not yet stepped. Is it time today to step out? Knowing that you are filled with his spirit, knowing that you're walking relationship with him, but to step into action as his witnesses. Because we are all called to be witnesses in the power of the Holy Spirit. And some of you may be really fired up right now. You may be in that place of just burning, ready to go. Go for it. 
Step out. Whatever God is calling you to do, step out and do it. Be accountable to others around you. Ask fellow Christians, believers to stand with you and just to check that actually is this the word of God and get on and do it. Others of you may be feeling empty right now and disconnected. It's been a difficult time. Many of us have been through that in this last season of lockdown. You may feel that you're trying to do everything in your own strength. Now is the time to wait. Not to hang up your shoes, not to kick back and go to sleep, but to wait actively as the disciples did. To pray, to worship, to read the scriptures and to be with Jesus. And also to gather with others who are walking the same journey of faith as you. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, the writer of Hebrews writes this, and let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. This isn't about church meetings and church programs. You know, church is confusing on days. You may have been in this church for many years. You may have been joining this church fairly recently. You may be joining and watching online from another church. I've worked uh, for this church in one form or another for getting on for 20 years. And I can tell you on days, church is confusing. Church is bewildering. Church can be frustrating. This isn't about coming along to programs and getting stuck in on rotors. Though all of those things have their place and help us thrive as a community. But this is about earnestly seeking God in this season with our brothers and sisters. Because actually, without Jesus, we have nothing. And without each other, our brothers and sisters, we risk losing him. I know, sadly, too many people who have given up on church because of its complexities and its challenges and the difficulties of the fact that we're all broken people. I know too many people who have given up on church only a few years later to go on to give up on Jesus. Now is not the time to give up on church and now is not the time to give up on Jesus. Right now, we and our world need Jesus more than ever. We need the hope that he brings. We need the transforming power in our schools and our communities and our neighborhoods and our places of work. We need his forgiveness. We need to be changed and transformed. We need his solutions. We need his forgiveness. Now is not the time to give up on Jesus or to give up on church because the world needs him more than ever, and so do we. No, now is the time to wait. Now is the time and the season to wait actively for us to chase after him, to seek him with all our hearts, to grab hold of him, to hold tight to one another, that we would be filled once again with passion and with joy and with faith, and to step powerfully and confidently into the world around us, a lost, hurting, and confused world that needs us to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit as his witnesses, witnessing to the all-powerful love and forgiveness of Jesus that is available to everyone.
Now is not the time to shrink back. Now is the time to step up and to step in, to be filled afresh, that we would be, as a body of people, as the church here in Southampton, witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, wherever it is that God has placed us. Now, Andy doesn't know I'm going to do this, but Andy, would you come down and just share that word that you shared with me just before? Andrew came here to play sax this morning, but actually God spoke to him in the week with something he saw. So, Andrew, would you just share that? Yeah, Lucy and I went to Hamble um, uh, a couple of weeks ago, and we're sitting having a sandwich and watching people getting ready with their boats and their sails on the waterside. And I actually happened to overhear the father talking to his little daughter. And um, I didn't actually hear what she said, but I heard his answers to her questions. And he was saying they were getting their sails ready. On the, you know, but she was confused. What there was no wind, and yet they, he um, he was saying that they're getting their sails ready. There's about five boats getting their um, getting their sailors, as it were, getting their sails ready um, on the water. And then later on, he said, she obviously asked him the question, why are they going, why are they together? And he said, well, when they get out on the water, they will need to be together so they can help one another. So I felt God was really saying to me in that moment, and it was really, it's obviously the word of God um, from what Theo was saying this morning as well. It really fits in the fact that God is wanting us to wait, but God wants to actively get ready Get us, put ourselves up ready for the Holy Spirit when the Holy Spirit comes. But we've got to do it together. When we go out on the water, we need to be helping one another in, that, in, the, in those situations. And as the Holy Spirit comes, we need to be doing it, receiving um, um, the Holy Spirit together. It's, it's about helping one another as well. Thanks, Andrew. So just to leave us with that, picture that Andrew shared what do you need to be doing what do I need to be doing in this moment in this season to raise our sails be ready for us to catch the wind of the Holy Spirit where he's leading us where he's leading you where he's leading me and who is it that we need to get out onto the water with who are the people that we need to be gathering with walking alongside, that we would help them and they would help us on the water to catch the wind of the Holy Spirit, that we would be his witnesses wherever we find ourselves. Now, we are gathering here each Sunday from next week. Come and be a part of it. Come and join us as we seek God together, as we journey together as a community. If you're in a connect group or a pattern group, continue to spur one another on and encourage one another. We're meeting on Wednesday here just to do exactly what I've been talking about today, to come and wait on God in his presence, worshipping, praying together. Come and join us at 8 o'clock on Wednesday. Now I know that for some of you, you don't feel able and there may be some um, medical reasons or it may simply that you just don't feel comfortable yet and that's absolutely fine. Gathering in big rooms with big groups of people.
We are going to make uh, every effort to create spaces here on a Sunday morning where you can, if you need to isolate or would like to isolate, where you can do that safely despite being together. But wherever you find yourself, even if the need is still only to connect online, please do continue to seek out those whom you can encourage and who can encourage you. That we as a community in this season will be hearing God's voice together. That we would be putting our sails up, that we would catch the wind of his spirit, that we would be out on the water, not just stuck on the shore, but out on the water, on the waters of this city, on the waters of our workplaces, on the waters of our schools, on the waters of our neighborhoods, that we would be the witnesses to the goodness and the grace of God. Let's pray. Father, we recognize once again this morning that you came to give us life and hope. You came to release in our hearts eternity, that we would be with you forever. And yet you also call us to be witnesses so that we would not keep this hope to ourselves, but we would share it with those all around us, just as the followers uh, of you, Lord Jesus, on the day of Pentecost were sent out to powerfully proclaim your hope, your life, your love as witnesses. And within 30 years, they'd reached Rome, the very center of the world as it was. And from Rome, worlds went, roads went out to every part of the world. Lord, we thank you that you've called us as your witnesses, and yet we're hugely challenged by that responsibility. Holy Spirit, would you come? Holy Spirit, would you spur us on? Holy Spirit, would you fill us afresh? Give us the boldness and the courage to step out in faith. For those of us who need to step, Lord, would you give us the courage for step? Lord, for those of us who in this season need to wait and seek, would you lead us into those private places and those places together to seek your face? Holy Spirit, would you take us and use us as your witnesses to bring your life? In Jesus' name, amen.